Bilal, Your French, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just there early at, at a game and didn't know. So, um, you know, that's just the benefits of, of, of being in the gym. And I love being in the gym. I think you get more out of it than just watching film. Chris Murray is a guy that I think could fit just because he can come in and contribute. And if he's 75% of his brother, I mean, you get good value there. Tristan Vucevic, he hasn't had like the same amount of like big season minutes as a lot of the, the players in this class. So he's still a little bit unknown, but he can shoot the ball and he's a pretty good athlete. And so I think that there's a spot for him. Welcome back to the Sports Ethos Kings podcast. This is Jill, and I am joined by my co-host, Daily Sabonis, and a name that you will all recognize, Raphael Barlow. He is the NBA draft content creator, podcast host, and director of scouting at NBA Big Board. Raphael, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I follow both of you guys on Twitter and had some conversations, so it's like nice to like... I want to say meet you in person, but nice to meet right. you. <laughs> E-meet you, I Virtually. Guess. Yeah, virtual meet. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yep. Okay. So, to start off, um, can you tell us a little bit how you got into scouting and writing in general? Yeah, I mean, I've always, like, loved the draft since I was a kid. And um, I want to say I, I started my site, NBA Draft Junkies, back in 2016. And it was right about the time when... Draft Express had merged with ESPN and I knew how to create content. I had access to Synergy at the time. And so I just thought like once they left um, Draft Express or, or went to ESPN, there was a, a big gap in, in the content space as far as like producing video breakdowns and so on. And so I figured like, you know what, I can I can do that. So I, I started my website and I started doing just the, the video breakdowns on my own back in 2016 and 17. And I mean, it's definitely wasn't as crowded as it is now. I mean, now you just type in any prospect's name and there's somebody doing a video breakdown. And so I'm glad I kind of got in early. And uh, so, yeah, so that's just kind of how I started. It wasn't like any formal training or anything like that. I just would go off my opinion. And I think every year I kind of got better as far as just learning um, what to look for and you know, it was at first it was just like, oh, man, I really like this guy. I think he's going to be great. But, you know, as you get experience, you understand like there's positional size, there's context and so on. And so um, that's how I kind of got started doing this, the scouting thing. And then as far as like the video content, which I wish I had more time to do, because I, I love that part of it. I just don't have the time to do it anymore. I got married and have a little baby. And then as far as writing, um, my minor in school is in English and then a broadcast journalism. I don't like writing, to be honest with you, just because the proofreading part of it, um, trying to, uh, you know, getting started. And, and then um, just knowing that I got to put out content like three times a week. <laughs> but once I get started, I'm fine. But for me, it's one of those things like I just need, I just need a, uh, 
like plenty of time just to kind of focus and put things together. And then when, you know, when you have a little baby, you just, you know, you stop, start, stop, start. So I, I find myself having to like start writing at like midnight. And sometimes it may take me till four or five o'clock in the morning to finish an article and I'm tired the next day. But on one pen, I guess I just, I don't like the getting started part of it, but once I'm finished, I'm pleased with it. And, but I enjoy the part of just expressing my opinion on, on the draft. So, I mean, I, I enjoy what I do, but sometimes the writing part is just the writer's <laughs> block is real. I should say. Yeah. Understandable. It was really cool to see you and your family traveling around um, this last year too. And I want to say too, that it's always hard as a consumer to, when it comes to draft time and other things like that, to, to weed out, you know, agent play and, you know, people doing favors and things like that. But whenever I'm reading your stuff and going to your stuff, I know I'm getting legitimate information. I'm getting information about the players themselves, their personal life. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting, um, a full package. So I just want to say, I appreciate that and, and what you do and all the time you spend and you're traveling and, um, even more so than you've been doing, it seems like the last couple of years. I know you it's were in Europe, you were yeah, in Europe and doing different ones. So it was really yeah. cool. Yeah, the traveling has definitely gone down since um, down since the baby. Yeah, since the baby. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I enjoy it. And I mean, of course, you know, there are times where I mean, I've had agents offer to pay me money, and I I'm not in a position to like turn down money. But at the same time, I I, I won't take it just because I'm like, this is like crafted or this is scripted and right. so on. And, and so, um, and then I just wouldn't feel like, you know, I just wouldn't feel like I'm being genuine to myself and to my audience if I'm like writing paid pieces. And I mean, a lot of times if I'm writing an article about a guy, like I went to Atlanta and I wrote about, um, I'm just got Vincent Valerio Bolden a few weeks ago. I mean, I was out of my own pocket <laughs> and, and it just, uh, I just felt, I don't know. It's just something about his story. And I had been tracking him for a couple of years. And so that was like a piece that, I mean, I, I lost money to, to write it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all genuine. It's coming from me. Yeah. And I, I think it's impressive too, that I see, you know, pieces that you do write or videos that you put out and um, no ceilings and, and Adam and different guys like that, where you're showcasing guys that we're finding out about now, but you were writing pieces on them, you know, a year and a year and a half ago. So it just goes to show, you know, the work you guys are putting in and that, you know, you're on the ground floor and really, um, you're really kind of before the time of, you know, now we're seeing the Ben Shepherds and different things of the world, but you know, you can go out and find articles that you guys did, you know, a year ago. So yeah, um, I, I, I think I that's to- really cool to see. Yeah, I try to be in the gym as much as I can. Um, and sometimes when you're in the gym, you may find somebody that you weren't even looking for. And like I've, I've been talking about like the past few I was going like to say, Bilal, French, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just there early at, at a game and didn't know. So, um, you know, that's just the benefits of, of, of being in the gym. And I love being in the gym. I think you get more out of it than just watching film. Yeah, I was going to say the Bilal one, that was hearing your podcast and stuff on him and your, you know, what you guys thought when you first saw him and then the trajectory mm-hmm. that it's taken. You just never know. And it's really cool to to kind of see how that works. But yeah, couldn't have yeah. predicted that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. And then um, before we start on the, the three prospects I'll ask you about for the Kings, mm -hmm. I know we had, um, there was a deadline day today. Was mm -hmm. there anybody that you were surprised on that, that fell off um, or that maybe stayed? Yeah, Bobby Clintman. That was really weird to me. And I've I've been busy today, so I haven't had a chance to like read up behind it. But the only thing I've seen is that he pulled out and then he um, is going to Australia, which is good for Australia in a sense, because I feel like they were the most impacted by NIL in the G League. I mean, the year they got LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton, those were like two of the top guys in, in, in their class to go to Australia. Then all of a sudden, the NIL and, and the the ignite come along so i thought that kind of killed them but for them to end up uh getting like, a guy like clintman and, and then they got a, a kid out of high school aj johnson that's supposed to be really good and i mean they got a, you know ryan rupert is going to be a first round pick so i thought that was a big get for them but i thought it was weird because like the different agents and people that i talked to they had teams that they thought were the ones that made him a promise. And it was like, OKC. And then once OKC traded the 37th pick, it was like, OK, it's not OKC. And then you start hearing about it was Utah or Indiana, the teams that have you know, multiple first round picks. And so now I got to do some digging and find out, was it like a promise? And then it wasn't a promise. And then I even had an agent tell me that he thought it just he was making a mistake like shutting it down for promise because he thought he had the skill set to where if he did the workouts, he could rise in, in, in the first round. So the agent was like, either he has a promise that's pretty high, but he didn't understand like why you would like take a promise to be like a late first round pick or an early second round pick. So now the situation looks even weirder that he's going to Australia. Yeah. So maybe that was the team that promised him, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it seems like there's some, I haven't got to see the whole list, but it seems like there's some European prospects that have dropped too. So that, oh, yeah, that could bode yeah. well for um, some of the, the local um, college players here and, you know, who were, you know, maybe maybe now will bump up in the second round or, yeah. um, or those two ways um, and how that works. But, okay, so we'll start off with your, um, as much as you can, because we know at 24, there's a wide variety of names where mm -hmm. guys can rise, they can fall, um, who will be available. We're not sure, but do you have um, a couple of your favorite prospects that you think might be around at the 24 range for the Kings? Yeah, I think the first name that comes to mind is Kobe Jones from Xavier. He is one of the more ready to contribute players in this in this class he's very solid all the way around he rebounds he passes he scores uh the, the concern is the shooting even though he shot about 38 percent from three it's like 37 38 percent the volume of attempts weren't really high but he did improve from the high 20s to, to high 30s this year but i think he has like the size and the tools to just come in and like be a connector or be a glue guy i think with the kings it's well, one, it's just a weird situation for Sacramento fans because, what well, was it, 16 years? So right, you're used to, like, picking in the lottery. So picking this late is, yeah. is a different and, and guys usually not wanting to work out for us. We're now in the 20s. Everyone will come work out for us. <laughs> yeah, so it's a different dynamic. And so on one hand, it, it's not an older team. So it's, you know, so obviously they want to add young pieces. But then again, it's like, are they in – we need guys that are coming in to win now, or we need guys that 
a more so long-term prospect. So I imagine it's just a wide range of guys that they're bringing in. Um, I know this may be cliche, but Chris Murray is a guy that I think could fit just because he can come in and contribute. And if he's 75% of his brother, I mean, you get good value there. And one of the reasons why I'm like pro Chris Murray going to a, a good team is because his age, I look at it as a positive in a sense, because if you are a team in the late first round or even Sacramento, for example, and if you select him, he'll be 23 on open night. By the end of his contract, he'll be, what, 27-ish? You're basically getting a guy at the beginning years of his prime on a rookie deal. I think that's an absolute steal. So I wouldn't be afraid of his age, especially if I'm a team that's picking in the the back of the first round, I'm looking for guys that can come in and contribute right away. That makes sense. And then um, just from those two players, um, what do you think their best NBA like ready skill is or their swing skill? What do you think it'll be in the league? Um, I think for Kobe, it's just his, his versatility. I think he's someone that you can put him on the floor next to a Fox and then if De'Aaron is off the ball or if a team is trapping De'Aaron, you can give him the ball. He can catch it in the middle of the floor and make plays. I mean, you look at, at, at Denver's team, which I think a lot of people are going to copy Denver, but they have so many guys that even if you trap Jokic, they have so many guys that can make plays from, from Aaron Gordon is a good passer to Bruce Brown is like playing like this weird hybrid position. And so Kobe Jones is someone that, I think he can play next to any like ball dominant or, or primary score and he can make you pay for trapping because he's such a, a good passer and playmaker. Then he rebounds. So I, I think he's one of the more safer guys. And then as far as Chris, I mean, he defends, he defends multiple positions. He can knock down open shots and um, he's just matured and, and he can, he can come in and contribute. Like I said, if he's 75% of his brother, I mean, that's a win. <laughs> at, at picking late in the first round. So back to Kobe Jones, um, what would you say his NBA comp is, best case scenario? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I'm trying to think of someone. I haven't – that just kind of just does a little bit of everything that just contributes to winning. Um, yeah, I had one in mind, too, and now I'm just, I'm, I'm just <laughs> lost for it. All right, you know what? And and maybe it's like a recency bias. Not exactly like one-to-one, but like a Bruce Bruce Brown for Denver. Bruce nice. was a point guard in college, and I think he fell to the second round because he was like – he didn't fit into this box. That's like, all right, he's not a, he's not a great shooter, he's not, so he's not a 3 and D guy. Even though he's used to playing with the ball in his hands, he's not like your primary. And then he got to Brooklyn. He was like playing like the four and he was a screener. But he just is a connective tissue that does everything that a team needs to contribute to winning. And so I think with with Kobe, he can be that guy because even though he's about – I mean, the size is good. He's a really good rebounder for a size. Probably, in my opinion, one of the top two or three wing rebounders in this class. So he will go out there and compete and, and fight on the glass, but he's also a, a really good passer. So I think he can be that connective tissue and he's a better shooter right now than Bruce Brown was when he left. So um, maybe not like the screener or natural 
I guess I won't say natural, but Bruce Brown was playing like small ball five sometimes. He may not be able to offer like that much versatility, but I do think he can play two, three, and if you want to go really, really small, some four. Okay. And I know I'm kind of throwing this off the cuff here, but we just got dropped some names that came into Sacramento today. And um, two of them were City Sissoko and Maxwell Lewis. Do you have anything that you can um, share on those two? Because I know I want to say at the kind of the start of the draft process, we were seeing um, Sissoko a lot in the first, and now we're kind of seeing him slide down to the second. Um, So I'm just curious um, yeah, do you think it's just because he, he's so raw, like where, um, or it's just more one sided his defense right now, and there's just not as much offensively that might mm. be, um, why he's kind of dropping a little bit? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I honestly, I think it's a lot of follow the leader. If you know, big publication drops a guy, then everybody else is going to follow. Also, think it's a combination of his French national team teammate Bilal Koulibaly moving up. And so when he moves up, somebody else is going to still move down. It's kind of like a domino effect. But he finished the year strong. Like, he really finished the year strong. And what I like about City is I've been following him for years. So I followed him back when he played in Spain last year. I thought he was like a big point guard. He had the passing skills and, you know, the the size and, and, and the defensive potential. But something clicked with him this year where he started like really attacking the rim and going to the basket. I think he was second in the G league out of all the wing players and dunks. And so that just kind of shows how aggressive he is. And most of those finishes at the rim came in the second half of the year. So it was like, it was something that, that, that switched. And so I think with his size and his ability to get downhill and his passing and his defense, I think that he is someone that is probably a little bit, under the radar in a sense. And I don't, I mean, the Ignite was a good situation for him as far as developing, but we didn't really get a chance to see like the real point forward skills out of him. So I like him and he's actually training in in Dallas where I live. So I've had a chance to watch him work out. And then Max Lewis, I had a chance to watch him work out in Chicago at, at the combine. And, and I'm not saying it's just because I'm talking about him on your show, like his, I know it's just a workout, but it was one of the best workouts that I've seen. I've seen a gazillion workouts, which as far as like the number of shots that he made. And I put it like this, his workout was so good. And I filmed it just for like a interview and, and a piece on NBA big board, but his workout was so good that his trainer asked me to send him the raw footage so he could send to different teams and so the raw footage has misses and everything right. on there. Cause you know, when I, and I'm a videographer. So if I make a workout video for a guy, obviously there's not going to be any misses. And even if a guy shoots like 100 for 500, those 100 makes are all going to be on there. So it looks good, but he shot the ball so well that I don't know what teams have seen it, but the raw footage, the whole probably 45 minute workout with every miss and, is, is on there. That's how confident that his agent or the person that's playing his agent right now felt about his shooting. So he just has to. I feel like we've heard nothing but good things based on his workouts with teams too. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, the, the knock on him and I talked to him about it was he went to Pepperdine. Pepperdine wasn't good. And so a lot of teams are concerned if he was a guy that was just putting up bad number or good numbers on a bad team. So that's kind of the knock on him. But I've also heard someone say that 
with his talent and skill set, if he went to a blue blood school or Duke or Kansas or something like that, we'd be talking about him as a surefire lottery pick. So just the concern is he wasn't winning. And I, I forgot the number I had it earlier, but I don't think he won like 15 games in his two years. I, I'll just be generous and say it was 20, but I don't think he won like 20 games in his two years at, at Pepperdine. So he has to shed the good stats, bad team label. Yeah, and I'll say if there's probably a team where he would land on, considering we have two Pepperdine people with the Kings and Doug Christie and Kessler Edwards now, if anyone's going to be able to get any kind of info that they would probably know, realistically, that. that kind of stuff of what's going on. Um, yeah, I, you know, I never thought about back that. Back end stuff, yeah. That's a good one, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so He'd fit right in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is weird because it's like Pepperdine. It's not a school that you hear about. And then when you have two – guys with Pepperdine ties with the Kings. It, it does make sense there. Yeah, you're so you're right about that. Yep. Okay. And then um, next up, do you have um, two to three favorite sleepers for the second round? Yeah. So it was weird because I think the second round, I honestly feel like 15 through 25 is going to be fluid. Then I also feel like maybe – 25 through 40 could be interchangeable. So my sleepers for the second round would be, I like Traquavion Smith. I'm, I'm a big fan of Traquavion. He's the one that I thought if he would have stayed in a draft last year, he would have been a late first round pick. He's actually kind of being penalized in a sense because he's, you know, last year he kind of came out of nowhere. It's like Leonard Miller. I think they have similar situations. It kind of came out of nowhere towards the end of the year. And at least on like social media, they were like the favorites. And then they actually got better this year and they're not being talked about as much. So, you know, he's not necessarily the flavor of the month, but he came back to NC State for a sophomore year to win because they were one of the worst teams last year. And then he led them to the NCAA tournament. Um, his assist numbers went up, but the inefficiency is, is a little scary that he's small. I think he's like 165 pounds. So that's pretty concerning in the NBA. But I do think that he could be like a Jordan Poole type guy, a guy that can come off the bench and just provide instant offense. And I do think that he'll be better in a reduced role where he doesn't have to create every single shot for, for his team to be successful. And he's a really good knockdown shooter off the catch. So he's a guy that comes to mind. Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana. You can look at the numbers and make a case to say he's the most productive out of, outside of Wimbayama, but just on paper, he was the most productive player in this draft as far as stats. Um, the numbers were great. He rebounded. He passes. I think he's one of the better passers. A little undersized because he's measured at 6'9", and he doesn't space the floor. So there are some concerns about that, but I think that he could be a sleeper that could go – I mean, if he if he's like the one of the first picks in the second round, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Or if he's like kind of falls because he doesn't space the floor, that wouldn't shock me either. Um, Julian Phillips from from Tennessee, he was highly touted coming into his freshman year. Struggled with efficiency, but he showed some flashes as a defender, so he could be a guy that you could develop over, you know, in in the G League and. I think the Kings have like a, a great relationship with Stockton. And so it's, it's 
on one hand, it's close by, but then again, you factor in the traffic, and it's, it might not be as close as it as it seems geographically. But I think that would be a good fit. And then Tristan Vucevic, uh, the, the, the Serbian. Well, he's it's a weird situation because I forget, his situation is weird because I want to say like his my, his dad might be Serbian, his mom might be. Greek, but he was born in Italy, so it's kind of hard to put him in a, a, to a nationality. I think he has like he could he could actually represent like four different countries. Wow! With his passport, because I think yeah, I think he was. I know he was born in one country, and his parents have different nationalities, so that's three. And I don't know. Anyway, um, I'll just say the European, <laughs> and so he had a really good combine. He's he's really unknown in a sense because um you know a lot of people hadn't heard of him until he went to the combine and he had a good game where he had like 12 points in the first quarter that was wild he was hitting i mean follow he looked like dirk hitting following jumper yeah and it's uh and he's the one that i've been following for a while but he he started off playing well not start off but he played in real madrid system and he played on their um youth teams and he was good and then last season i went to watch him play and um, he's playing for Real Madrid. So there was just not a lot of minutes for him. And I remember going to a game and the only thing I was able to watch from him was uh, like how he warmed up. And then like when he got in with two minutes left in, in the second quarter. And so once he switched to Partizan in Serbia, he started playing a little bit more. So even now he hasn't had like the same amount of like big season minutes as a lot of the, the players in this class. So he's still a little bit unknown. But he can shoot the ball and he's a pretty good athlete. And so I think that there's a spot for him. Yeah. And I want to say it was interesting. His seems like his team came out today and was saying that um, they want him to have a roster spot. They don't want him mm -hmm. being drafted to um, to go Stashed. to the G. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that'll be interesting to see where he falls. Um, mm -hmm. Well, he has the same agent as because of that. So his okay. agent got some power right now, yeah. you know. So, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, but he looks good. <laughs> yeah, definitely looks good. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's somebody that I've been watching for a while, but it was just kind of really hard to evaluate him, like it is some European prospects, because he was. I always tell people there's no college basketball in Europe, so it's like, in one hand, you're going from playing with your peers to basically skipping that middle step. And so he was someone that went from being really good with his peers, so all of a sudden he's playing for Real Madrid, which is a team that is trying to compete for EuroLeague championships every year. So they don't really have developmental minutes for a teenager. So he was kind of stuck behind some really good guys. And then when he went to, to, to Partizan this year, he was able to show a little bit. So um, he's like, you know, just a, just a very common situation for a European prospect, which makes them really hard to evaluate sometimes if they're not in a situation that's like really built for them, like like in Victor's case. Are there any defensive concerns with him or do you feel like he's solid on that end? Um, he, he's, he's definitely like physically weak. So he'll need to like bulk up and, and get, and get stronger. Um, so yeah, I think there are some defensive concerns right now, but I think it's just, you know, it's going to be a, a process to once he gets stronger and then um, just has to adapt to like the NBA game, which is very similar to the rest of the players in this class. And then he may not have, he may not have the same, I mean, 
you can say he played professional, but he may not have like the same game minutes as some of his peers in his class, guys that were playing 30 minutes per game in, in college and being featured. So um, there may be a, a big adjustment period there. Were you able to see uh, James Nagy out there when you were yeah. when you were in yeah. Europe? Where just I know they're not similar in styles, but where do you think he is in terms of? Do you think he'll come in and he's kind of ready for an NBA role? Because that's that's another guy where I've seen in that late twenties, but also we could go anywhere, like you mentioned, from thirty to forty. Like it's that that mm-hmm. wide range. Yeah. So what's interesting about Naji was he was someone that I had watched um, the year before I spent this I spent all of 21-22 season in Europe and so I thought Naji was a guy to just keep an eye out on for this 23 draft so I went and watched him play a couple times with his peers and I was just not impressed he was physically bigger and more athletic than everyone else but he was someone that just didn't look good I actually wrote an article on NBA draft junkies about how I was trying to take a train from Barcelona to wherever they were playing at, and it ended up taking the wrong train, and it cost me, like, I don't know, like $178 (laughs) to take an Uber. And and I was kind of just disappointed with how he played. And I was like, again, I saw the physical tools, but I'm like, man, if this guy is only scoring, like, eight points – how is he ready for the NBA when he's scoring eight points against his peers? So I went to watch him a couple of times, just nothing spectacular. But then they had a, a situation where there were multiple players that were out with injuries and COVID. And then he was forced to play for Barcelona senior team. And then he goes out there, and he looks like a first round pick. And so I think he really benefited from like the spacing where all he had to do was roll and he had like better guards to get him the ball. And it just kind of like taught me a lesson that if a guy is like an athletic big and he's playing with his peers and they're trying to feature him and and give him the ball and give him low post touches, then his flaws are going to really show if he's not that type of player, which won't be his role in the NBA. But when he had a simplified role of screen, rebound, run the floor, block shots with better spacing and, and better playmakers, I mean, he legitimately look like NBA players. So that was the lesson that I learned. So I said, I'll have to say this. He's like Jalen Duran in a sense to me, where he's just like, how are you 18 with muscles on top of muscles? Like, I mean, like, I understand, like, there's weight rooms, but were you living in the weight room? I mean, think about it. 18 years old, yeah. built like that. They didn't have 18-year-olds that looked like that when I was in high school. <laughs> so, no. um, so, yeah, he's just physically mature and he has had the benefit of playing like really, really high level basketball in Europe. And I think in a simplified NBA role, he could be, you know, at least someone that can crack the rotation early in his career. Okay. Um, and then lastly, uh, I know it's, we're, what are we, 10, 11 days out of the draft. Um, mm-hmm. Are you, do you have any kind of feelings about anyone you think might be rising, dropping? Um, do you think we'll be in, I, you know, we always get some surprises, but um, do you have a feeling of there might be more or less than, than the usual? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of trades. And so I think there are going to be several players that are going to fall just because 
the way the the order is right now, it's going to be totally different. And so some guys just for, for like fit, it, it's, they're going to end up falling. I give you an example. Like I think with, with Scoot, you know, he was a guy that we thought was going to go number two, a surefire number two. And then the way the lottery kind of panned out is that it's not a good fit for him, at least in my opinion, at least, well, he won't have the keys like we thought in, in Charlotte or Portland. And so I think that there's going to be other situations like that to where, like, let's say, you know, everybody talks about, oh, well, Utah needs a guard. Well, if they make multiple trades, then, you know, somebody that we thought was going to go there is not going to end up there. So I think it's going to be like a a busy, a busy day as far as trades. But the player that I think is probably the biggest riser is uh, Omax, Olivier Maxence Prosper. I think that he made himself a lot of money at, at the combine, and actually had him on my podcast in the in the air, in the air on on Tuesday. That uh, at the combine he showed what he can do, like with the ball in his hands. While at Marquette, he he was on a team with two really good passers, so he was mostly used as a cutter and defender. And the three point shooting was okay, it was respectable, but I thought that he's shown that he can really knock down open shots and, and some ball handling stuff. So he's the guy that I think could go from two months ago was projected to go in the forties or fifties. So I think he can go in the teens and then Bilal Koulibaly. I think he's going to end up being a, a top 10 pick. <laughs> and so, which is crazy because six weeks ago he was maybe, maybe he's even in the draft to now I think he's going to go top 10 just because of, He's had big games on a big stage in the playoffs. So I think those are the two biggest risers as far as guys that could fall. And I don't have any knowledge of it, but I wonder like if Bryce Sensenball is, is the guy that falls because I haven't heard anything about him. I even talked to a team that has picks in the range where he's supposed to go. And he's like, he hasn't even been brought in for a workout. I know he's had like multiple knee injuries in, in high school. So I wonder if like the medicals don't come come back like as a red flag, could he be the one that the one that falls simply because I think he's had two knee surgeries? And I've had guys tell me when you go to the combine, they're picking and prodding at every part of your body. Like one guy told me, they asked him, did he have an elbow injury? He was like, yeah, when I was 11. And he was like, there were teams that were concerned about it. And then I had another guy tell me that when he went through the testing, um, there was like some concern that he got scratched in the eye and he said he got scratched in the eye playing a pickup game. And I guess he wore like goggles for a few weeks and then he got red flagged by some teams because they were just like, you know, if you get poked <laughs> in the eye one more time, it could be really damaging. So they do a lot of work. And so I think there could be some guys that fall if they've had like a pre-existing injury. Are the concerns about Bryce Sensible's defense like real or? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to somebody today from a team, and I was just kind of asking, like, about what range. And he said, well, you know, a lot of teams are looking for defenders, like wing defenders, especially once even like the – like he was – the way he worded it was even like the teams are in the lottery are trying to win now. Like teams were either had three or four bad years in a row and they're trying to win – and then you have teams like Dallas and New Orleans and Oklahoma City in the lottery, and they're trying to win now. And then once you get past that, you have playoff teams. He was like, it, it could be tough for him because teams are just so worried about non-defenders at the wing. So I think that is a concern. 
Interesting. Well, I mean, and that's something that we know that the Kings need, but I mean, I could very well see them, you know, going all into their offense too. And it's just like, keep getting better on the offensive side. Um, yeah. If, if that like, you know, defenders there that, or at least you don't think that that's, that's there in that range. Um, yeah. I think it's tough because if you look at it, like how many guys are really, good shooters and defenders like every it's either you're one or the other right so you look at a guy like Omax. teams are like oh yeah he's ready to come in and contribute but they may say well he shot in the low 30s from three you look at sensing ball you look at jet howard even max lewis so like we're not concerned about the shooting is can they come in and defend so i think you know it's, it's either or i don't think there's anybody that unless you put like chris murray in a sense but I don't think he's – I think he's, he can knock down threes and he can defend, but he's not like the 3 and D, like wing you're looking for. He's like a 3 and D, 4. So that makes it kind of tough. Which skill do you think is harder to develop? Shooting or defense? Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely. Ah, uh, I was great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you can work on your shooting. Uh I guess I would say defense. So do you think – go ahead. I was going to say, well, defense because sometimes you may not have the physical tools to be a good defender. So I think you can – I mean, I guess you can say if you don't have good touch, you'll never be able to be a good three-point shooter. But I, I do think, like, defensive is a combination of, like, effort and energy and also, like, physical tools. Like, if you don't have really good feet or you're not, like – long you could have some issues but then again you'd have to just be like really really smart at, at cutting off angles so i would say defense yeah and even then like if you don't can you be a team defender like because i mean we yeah. see plenty of players who aren't necessarily great indiv individual defenders but they have you know the basketball knowledge or at least or the intuition where they can be that team defender yeah. um I mean, I feel like a lot of times teams are looking more so for the team defender just because, like you said, there aren't a lot of those highlight, um, mm -hmm. you know, multi-both-way players out there. Yeah, I mean, I look at Jokic, for example. He's a guy that, like, the knock was, oh, he's too slow. You can put him in pick and roll. Can he defend in a playoff series in space? And I think he's done an excellent job on the defensive end. He's good at yep. like cutting off angles. I mean, he's not playing above the rim. He's not blocking shots. And then Steph Curry is another guy that comes to mind. Like you would think like teams would just pick on him and isolate him, but he's such a good team defender. And even being a good team defender means being able to like run away from getting screened. <laughs> so you don't have to, you know, guard the guy that you, you know, you don't give the offense a favorable matchup. And I think that's like the funny part about Steph being a good team defender is he knows like, look, I know they're trying to pick on me, but I'm getting out the way so I can uh, make sure that, uh, you know, we get Draymond on this guy instead of me. So, um, yeah, I mean, team defense is just as important really as being a good individual defender because I've seen guys that are good individual defenders, but they're so focused on shutting their man down that they're not there helping their teammates out. So but I'd say defense is, is harder than shooting. Last question for me. Um, in the past three or four years, who, which NBA player like has totally surprised you as far as their development and you didn't expect them to do that well or not. That sounds disrespectful. You just, yeah, you were just surprised. 
I guess the easy one for you, and it's a name you guys are familiar with. Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> it was Halliburton was a guy, and I even look back at my notes, and I get why I was concerned, but it is maybe just a preference. Like I prefer, like I prefer De'Aaron Fox type point guard than a Tyrese Halliburton. I want my guy to be able to get in the lane whenever he wants to get in the lane. I want a guy that's like a good athlete and can pass and shoot off the dribble. And when I look at Halliburton, looking at his game, I, and I don't feel like my assessment was wrong. He's not like great at putting pressure on the rim, has a weird looking shot. So he's not necessarily going to be able to like be a really good shooter off the dribble. I knew he was a good passer. I knew he had versatility and I thought he was like a connector. I didn't think he was an all-star. <laughs> and so I feel like that's a blind spot for me because I'm probably, I probably would miss on him every time. So, cause again, I like my point guard to get downhill and collapse the defense and, and kick out and be able to finish at the rim and so on. And, and Tyrese Halliburton is just a guy that is just really good at, at being a connector, but he's also like a leader and he's knocking down shots. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that was so easy for me because I was totally wrong about him. That's hilarious. Amazing. I still well, had him a lot of people were though. Like, yeah. How many teams were? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had him as a lottery pick, but I, I think at the time I thought like, oh, yeah, he would be good. I think this was before Phoenix had Chris Paul. So I was like, he would be good playing with Devin Booker. He's a guy that complements everybody's player. And even he played a complimentary role in, in Sacramento, and he was good. But then once he got his own team, it's like, okay, this dude is an all-star. So, yeah, I was totally wrong on that one. Yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix passing on that one still. Because um, you were right, it was before they had anybody, mm-hmm. and now they're yeah. they're out still looking for that, and they could have had that pairing. Yeah, and still brought Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like, is he an all star if he stays in Sacramento? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, the trade just worked out for both teams. It was like one of the few times where trade is a win win, and I feel like the Kings management just got totally like blasted for it. And I talked to a guy that works for the Kings at, at the Combine. I was like, I don't think fans realize that this is the new front office. Like, everybody just assumed that was the same old Kings that made that trade. And like I said, it's one of the few trades that's just a win for both teams. And then there's some people, there's a lot of people that just didn't even watch the Kings until they made the playoffs. So yeah. it is yeah. what it is. It's it's hard to rub uh, to clean off that rep. You know what I mean? The stink they were off you. So Burton was getting DNPs when he got traded. So yeah, it just shows how much people were not don't you know? Yeah, don't yeah. know about the Kings. <laughs> yeah, but you guys got a great fan base. That's that's the thing that I'm like. You guys got a great fan base. 16 years, no playoffs, and I'm, there's like Sacramento Kings podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know what's crazy though is. For as long as they've been here, we've only had nine 500 seasons. Like, we're all still here, but in our entirety of the, you know, 35 plus years, we've had nine winning seasons. Wow. And how many were in the the Weber? Eight. Nine. This was the first one. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah. I I mean, in that Adelman era, he was like the sole, pretty basically the sole coach that got like over 500. I think Gary St. Jean might have had one. Um, yeah. But Adelman had the rest, and then Mike Brown. Um, 
was the next man up. But yeah, well, so like, like it's it's just been since '85 to now. Like it's just yeah, hasn't been a lot of winning in general. And so it's when it comes, that. it's like we're full I, force. I, I never. I mean, I guess to get back at it, like yeah, I remember like the Lionel Simmons days and <laughs> and uh, Kenny Smith and Bobby Hurley and all that. And then you know it's like that era in the the late '90s. And then I guess right well. Wasn't there like after that with the Artest and, and Bonzi team? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then they tried to pay Bonzi and Bonzi turned out. It was like I think it was upwards of like 42 million or something like that. And yeah. he said that's that was his one like regret out of anything was turning down um that deal to and leaving and not and not taking it. Yeah. But wow. I yeah. Never, I, I never thought of it like that. That's that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for, for giving us your time and um, giving us almost an hour. So that's great. Oh yeah. No um, problem. I but yeah, it. we appreciate it and keep, keep up the the great content and we can't wait to see what else you have um, in the next 10 days uh, leading up to it. I'm excited for the OMAX one that you said is coming tomorrow. Is that mm -hmm. what you said? Yep, okay. Yeah. Yep. So I, I was gonna put it out today. I just, I just haven't had time to like edit it. <laughs> but no, I, I enjoy like reading your tweets, like both of you guys, and Thanks. so on. So like, for and it's funny because um, there's not like a face, you know what I mean, on, on both of your profiles in a sense. So I mean, it is a face, but yours is a cartoon character, Jill. Right. And then uh, so yeah, so it's like cool, like I said, to, to virtually meet you guys. So anytime you want me on, just let me know. I can make it happen. Likewise, no, and we, we appreciate everything. Thank you. Um, and then is there anything you want to um, drop for listeners um, of where they can find you um, in case they don't already know? Yeah, um, NBA Big Board, uh, the newsletter. It's, I, um, it's a newsletter, big boards and mock drafts and, and draft buzz. And then I have the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, which is five days a week. So if a person likes draft content, you can get seven or eight forms of draft content from me in a week. So I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. Looking thank forward you. to it. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you for, for pushing it back a little bit for me. And then if you yep. want me on like after the draft or if you're going to summer league or something like that, let me know. And then we can oh, for sure. Yeah, that there. would be great. Thank you. Are you and good luck on league? sleep. Are you guys going to summer league? Uh, I might be going. Okay. My sister right. lives there, so I I try to go out there every year. So it just depends on work this year, but um, there's like a seventy percent chance we'll be there. Okay. Same. It's, it's weird because you guys don't have like an exciting top ten pick that you want to like go check uh, out. Right? But as well, Kings and now fans, we have the California Classic too, so it's like you yeah, can see yeah. some people now before too. Yeah. But as Kings fans, we we always fall in love with with all of our players up to the fifteenth man. So. Yep. It's we're so we're gonna like sign this guy to Stockton. Like yeah. keep this guy. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'll find yeah. it. You'll find it. Yeah. There's the two now that you have the extra two way, we'll be, you know, yelling for three guys for two ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, let me know. I'll, I'll definitely be there. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Right, thank, you so thank you. All right. Yeah, no thank you. Have a good one. No problem. Take thank care. You.